The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. thank you and we praise you today that we may call upon you, that we may be here gathered together as your people to lift up songs of praise to you and adoration as we consider you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. We pray, Lord, that you would inhabit the praises of your people and we ask humbly that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we might offer acceptable worship in your sight. As we consider the words from Psalm 8, O Lord, when we look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have created us to glorify you and enjoy your presence. We pray that you would be mindful of us, your servants, now and be present with us in this service of worship, that we might lift up your name and your mighty works for your glory. And we join our voices together now, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. Because this is a profession of faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and look to the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation alone and in no other, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts 
as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Turn in your hymnal, if you will, to number 263, as we sing together, Lift High the Cross. Typically at this time I would ask the children to come forward for the children's sermon. I know there are some of you up here, but if there are any others who would like to come forward for the children's sermon, please do. This morning, children, I'm going to stay up here and I'm going to ask you a question. Can anybody give me a sound, or does anybody, are you familiar with the sound of what it would sound like if you were grumbling or complaining? Does anybody know that sound? Can you? Can somebody just demonstrate it? Maybe Samuel, please. <laughs> okay. What about complaining? Does anybody know how to complain? James. Oh, okay. Good. I'm sure that some of those sounds have been heard. Hopefully, not many this morning, but maybe some. Well, I want to share a verse with you uh, from Philippians chapter two, and it says that we are to do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So what do you suppose it means to do all things without grumbling or complaining, children? What do you suppose it means to do all things without grumbling or complaining? Caleb. If your mom asks you to do something instead of whining about it, just do it. 
What else? Do you think it also means that, oh, Daniel, do it willingly? Yes, absolutely. Do it willingly. Samuel? Do it the best you can. Josiah? With a happy heart. Yes. James? Don't doubt about it. Don't doubt about it. Don't doubt about it. You should do it. Caleb? Say yes, ma'am, yes, sir, whenever you do. Sure. Yes. Well, do it joyfully. Do it joyfully, yes. And so, is joy something that always is on the outside? Do you, um, for instance, do you always smile when you're given a chore? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But, did you know that the, the Lord knows even not just the things on the outside, whether you're smiling or maybe you're slumped over, your shoulders are low, and maybe you're kind of kicking the dust with your feet as you go do your chore. But did you know the Lord knows even your heart? So he knows if you're grumbling or complaining, even if you might have a, a good look on your face or maybe even a smile. He knows if you are grumbling in your heart. So who can help you with that? Who can help you not grumble or complain? Jesus. Jesus can. God can. He absolutely will. And the Holy Spirit. So God is with you in the things that you do, but he also promises in this is a, a command in Scripture. This isn't a suggestion. Do your best. Don't complain. It says do all things without grumbling or complaining. And the only way that we can do God's commands is by looking to Him in faith that He would give us the strength to do it, but also the will to do it joyfully, as His Word says. But there's also one last part about this, and I want you to think about this. Maybe if uh, your mom tells you to do something, or your dad tells you to do something, and you are, maybe at the store, or maybe you're out with friends. Did you know that you are a witness for the Lord Jesus even out in public? Even if you're not going up to someone and saying, do you know the Lord? The way that you listen to your parents, the way that you say yes ma'am or no sir, is actually a witness to the Lord's love in your heart. Other people see that and say, well that's interesting. That that little boy or girl was so respectful. I wonder where they learned that. And it's a witness. Well let me tell you. The Lord says I'm to do all things without grumbling or complaining, and that's why I do it. So I want to encourage you to think about that, and I'm going to pray for you just now, okay? Father, we do pray that you would bless our covenant children. We thank you for the way that you have blessed our families with these children that we might raise them to know you. And Lord, I do pray for their hearts as much as I pray for their obedience to you and to the things that their parents teach them. I pray, Lord, that they would have obedient hearts towards you, that they would remember that you see and know all things, even the grumbling that we might do under our breath or just in our mind or the ways that we might complain if we go in our room and shut the door. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to remember that they are a witness of your love and grace in this world, that sometimes they may fail. And I pray that you would encourage their hearts that in their moments of failing, that they wouldn't think, oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble. Lord, I pray that you would help them to know that they may run to you in their failings, that they might find grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, children. I actually have uh, something to do with three of you. Last week we uh, accepted uh, four new covenant children as communicate members. The session interviewed them. And our friendship circle has a gift for uh, three of the boys who are here today. So would Samuel and Jacob and Caleb please come up? I'm going to give you a gift. Thank you, boys. These are gifts to you from the Friendship Circle. It is a Bible that has your name written on it, Samuel and Jacob. And boys, I wanted to just share with you very quickly and briefly uh, what it says in the book of Colossians, that you would let the Word of God dwell in you richly, that you would read God's Word and study it and hide it in your heart, that you wouldn't sin against Him, as His Word says. Thank you. What a blessing and a privilege it is to, to see our young people turning to the Lord in faith. This morning for our responsive reading, if you would please take your green hymnal, we're going to recite together Psalm 16. It's on page 788. 
Psalm 16. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Keep me safe, O God. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. You have made known to me the path of life. Let's stand together now and sing hymn number 140, O Word of God Incarnate. children's choir will be giving our anthem and I just wanted to point out there's an insert in the bulletin with the words of the anthem that they will be singing if you would like to grab that to follow along let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer now this month we are praying for the McCafferty's two of our missionaries uh, who are serving around the world and we want to pray for them uh, for their encouragement for the work of their ministry uh, also for their ministry even in their own home as um, They raise their children and also have the opportunity uh, for gospel providential appointments to share even with their housekeeper. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you again and we pause to praise you that we may call upon you as your children. That because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone, we may come to you and cry out to you by faith. That we may lift up our hearts to you and be confident not only that you hear us, but that in your good time and according to your providence, you will answer. Lord, we pray that you would help us in the midst of our waiting. As we wait upon the Lord, we pray that you would build up our faith. Help us to know that waiting upon you is not something that we do in stillness, but also in activity, serving you and loving you and being obedient to what you have called us to do. I pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts that do wait upon you. And Lord, we pray and lift up to you now the McCafferty's for Brennan and for Becca. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them in their work. Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts where they might be homesick, where they might miss some of the comforts and just normal things at home that are different because they're living in another country. Lord, I pray for their health. I pray for the, the work that they are doing, that you would give them great joy and delight in it, that each day as they get up, whether it's to go and to, to preach for Brennan or for Becca as she raises her children and homeschools them, as she interacts with their housekeeper, Lord, I pray that you would give her divine appointments as she's learning the language herself to be able to speak with the housekeeper, to speak about the hope that is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and in no other. Lord, I pray for their encouragement, especially this time of year, as I'm sure they have many memories of wonderful times of Thanksgiving and Christmas with family. And it's just different living in another country and not celebrating those with those folks that they love so much. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them, that we would think of them and pray for them, send cards and communicate with them. Lord, we thank you for our participation in the gospel with them and being able to support them financially and with our prayers. And Lord, I pray for our church family here at Lebanon today. Lord, there are many reasons for us to lift up our hearts to you, things that weigh heavy on each of us. Lord, I pray that you would comfort those in our midst who are grieving, those who are going through difficult trials at this time that weigh upon them, that they think about at the end of the day as they lay down and the first thing that they think about when they wake up in the morning. I pray for those who are going through physical difficulties and have health problems that persist. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind them of your goodness and faithfulness as their heavenly father, as their good shepherd who does not abandon them. Lord, I pray for the spiritual health of our church. I pray for our leaders, for our elders and our deacons, for our Sunday school teachers and Sunday night teachers. As we seek to glorify Jesus in the way that we teach, Lord, I pray as we lead that we would do all of these things for your glory alone, that our young children and our young people might come to know you at a young age. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the hearts of our teachers in our midst, those who are going into public schools. I pray, Lord, for their protection and for provision for them, that as they go into these places that for many of us would be very uncomfortable, I pray that you would encourage their hearts to know that there is no place they go, no classroom they could walk into or administrative meeting where you are not on your throne. And I pray, Lord, that this would be encouragement to their hearts, that they may know the love of their heavenly father. And I pray now, Lord, as we open your word in just a few moments, that you would speak to our hearts, pour out your spirit upon us, that we might hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen.
you'll permit me, I just want to say a special word of thanks to Callie for leading our children's choir, and what a joy it is to see them all here together this morning, and really, we, it is a great blessing, Callie, what, the way that you serve the Lord in our, in our church fellowship here. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Amos. This morning our scripture reading is Amos chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. Amos chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. The sermon is entitled, Relaxed in Disobedience. Beginning in verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod, and in the palaces in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble on the mountains of Samaria, see great tumults in her midst, and the oppressed within her. For they do not know to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall be around the land. He shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken who dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed and on the edge of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end, says the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we continue in our series on the book of Amos, Prepare to Meet Your God. We're focusing on Amos's prophecy here in chapter 3, verses 9 through 15, where he prophesies God's punishment and judgment against his people in Israel. This is not what you would call a nice or neat sermonette. It is a bone-chilling message of God's face turned against his people. God does not forsake his covenant, though, and we can see clearly in this passage that he's not looking to annihilate his people and totally wipe them off of the face of the earth. In verse 12, it said that they would be saved, but as if two legs or a piece of an ear. And though there will be those who will be saved, the devastation will be very clear and evident. We can be tempted to say, well, you know, preacher, this is all from the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ has come. And God is love now. And Jesus has consumed the cup of wrath on behalf of his people. We are now free in Christ. And all this talk of punishment and judgment and wrath for sins. Is it not true that for God's people, all of that wrath was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ? That as we celebrated the Lord's Supper last week, is it not also true that Jesus drank to the very bottom the cup of the wine of the wrath of God? Yes, it is absolutely true that Jesus has suffered on behalf of his people. And what we see here is not that God is changing or that he would move, but that we are set free in Christ. You are set free from the dominion of sin, but you are not set free so that you might live however you would like. You're not set free so that you might sin. Some might call this license, that Jesus came that I might live how I would like to. There is no way that we can see that in the scriptures. As John Calvin wrote, and this really is a prayer for each of us this morning. May our faith be answerable to the measure of the increase of the grace that we have received. May our faith be answerable to the measure of the increase of the grace that we have received. May your hearts be filled with faith this morning as you look at this passage of scripture, and as you consider your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look at this passage under three brief headings. The first, what was God's message here to Israel? Number two, why was God punishing them? And lastly, the last question, how should we apply these principles ourselves today? So number one, what was God's message to his people Israel? 
Well, in verse 9, he looks to two nations and he says, come and see. Come and watch. It's God's invitation to two neighboring nations of Israel, two arch enemies of God's people and pagans, no less. These were not people who were part of the covenant, but God calls them and says, come and stand on the mountains of Samaria and see what is taking place. Look at my people. See what's taking place in their city and what I'm about to do to them. It's as if he's inviting them to front row seats, sit on the mountaintops and watch what's about to take place. He says in verse 14, if there's any doubt about who this punishment is coming from, for the sins of his people, he says, I will punish them in verse 14. I will destroy their security. I will take down their palaces where they have stored up monies that they think will keep them safe and secure and keep their enemies away. I will be the one to take away their summer house and their winter house and their ivory-covered furniture and the great houses they have built for their own security. I will take those things away. He says, I will also remove their altars of false worship, their idolatry, where they think that they worship me, but they are not, where they think that it's possible to mix what they would like in with the worship of the living God. The rot of religiosity exists in Samaria. And he says it cannot exist any longer. There's no reality in their hearts. They seem to conform to a pattern of godliness on the outside. But on the inside they are like whitewashed tombs. Full of dead men's bones. This ought not to be. And he also says that I will destroy the luxury from among their midst. And notice it says that they had ivory couches. They had learned to live in decadence and opulence. They took the, the good things that God had given them and turned them into something to worship themselves. To say, look how good we are. Look at what our prosperity has brought us. So that's number one. What was God's message? It's very clear. He invites the, the neighboring nations to come and to watch. And to see the devastation that he will bring upon his people for their disobedience, for their sin. What was God punishing them for? Why would he punish his people? And this will by far be our longest point this morning. Why was he punishing them? In verse 14, it's because of covenant transgressions. It's not sins against common grace that they are being punished for. Or the, the witness of creation that is called against them in judgment. But this is the one true God who pledged himself to them. The Holy One of Israel. The King of all the earth. The Creator. He pledged himself to them. To be a husband to them. To redeem them. To take them out of the land of Egypt where they were being oppressed and beaten. And to bring them into a land filled with plenty. And provide for them and take care of them. Yes, they absolutely have broken God's laws. They have done things that they ought not to have done. And they've not done things that God called them to do. But also we should see in this that this isn't simply they broke the rules. Yes, they broke the rules. But they also walked away from and broke their relationship with the living God. The one that we so lovingly call our Heavenly Father, whom we pray to, they walked away from Him. As a wife might walk away from her husband. Or a husband might walk away from his wife. This is what the nation of Israel had done. They walked away in their relationship with the living God. They were living relaxed in disobedience. That almost seems like a strange statement to make. How could you be relaxed in disobedience? How could doing the wrong thing before the living God feel okay? Well, I believe they did so in several ways. And I want to just point out. A few of them from the text this morning. Number one in verse 10. They refused to live righteously. And they were relaxed in it. God says they do not know to do right. Says the Lord. This is a statement in verse 10. Not about their knowledge. This is a statement about their character. About the way that they lived. The word refers to what is straightforward and true and righteous. These individuals do not know. The uprightness is not part of who they are and what they do from day to day. They might make a statement 
of understanding certain things about God and the way that they should live. They might even be able to make a credible statement about who God is, that he rules the world. But in their day-to-day living, there is a huge chasm between how they live and what they say they believe, who they say they belong to. It's not that they have no understanding of the good. I think this is important for us to think about this morning. It's not that they have no understanding of the good. They consciously ignore it. Day in and day out, one decision after another, they think about what's in front of them, and they they know in their heart, this is the way that God has called us to walk, and they walk away from it. They set God's word aside. Calvin eloquently describes their character this way. Here then, God accuses the Israelites of willful blindness, for they hardened themselves in every evil and extinguished all judgment, shame, and reason, so that they no longer distinguished between what was just and unjust. They no longer knew how to live in justice before the Lord and with their fellow Israelites, with brothers and sisters, people who belong to the the covenant community of God, and their unrighteous character before God was revealed in the way that they treated one another. It's interesting to think that we might say, well, my sin is just between me and God, but it's never that simple, and we don't live lives that are compartmentalized that way. When we walk away from God, we also do harm to others around us. He says that they lived in violence and robbery that they had taken the riches that they stole from people even among their own families and stored them in palaces and they were happy to live in their wealth. They were happy to build bigger barns to hold all the wealth that they had accumulated by stealing from others and taking from them in robbery. It was fine to them. One commentator said it is clear that these are social and economic sins that were being perpetrated by God's people on one another. This is injustice towards vulnerable people and brutal violation of people who were powerless to do anything to defend themselves. Isn't it interesting that as we walk away from the Lord and are less and less human, that we also turn our backs on one another? The covenant community of God, as we walk away from the Lord, we walk away from one another also. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, it says that God looked for justice, but behold, nothing but oppression. That God looked for righteousness, but behold, there was a cry for help. God expected to see among his people the character of himself, them walking in his ways, obeying his commands, and yet they weren't. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 speaks of this, not just as a principle for Israel, but for every nation, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22 says that as God looked at his people, he said they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil and the knowledge to do good. They have none. They have totally walked away from the living God who delivered them, who brought them out of Egypt into a place, made a promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. I will provide for you and protect you. And I will bring you into places that you didn't secure and give you food that you did not grow. And I will take care of you. And I will be faithful to you as a husband. And they said no. They refused to live righteously. Number two, they were contented in not seeking the Lord. They were relaxed in this. It's not a problem. They no longer felt the need to ask the question, what would the Lord have us do in this situation or in that? And isn't that easy for us as well? It would be easy to point the finger and say, well, I'm glad we don't have these kind of problems in our church. Or I'm glad we don't have these kinds of decision makers in our families. Isn't it interesting to think about the sins of God's people here and how they are perpetuated because of the fallenness of man? The scary thing is that perhaps they thought God was behind what they were doing. He gave me a brain, after all. He wants me to use it, some might say. He gave me common sense. I can choose. It's okay. I can choose what I'd like to do. I can follow my own heart after all. He wants me to be happy. And couldn't you see how it would be easy to take the shorter catechism? Question number one. What is the chief end of man? Isn't it interesting that we could take that and twist it and make it about us? What is man's chief end? 
Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And then focus on that one little part at the end. God wants me to enjoy life. So I can seek after whatever it is that might bring me happiness or joy. And I can set aside the other part about glorifying Him. It's most important that I enjoy myself, that I enjoy life, that I get the most out of it. After all, life is short. God doesn't want me to be unhappy. And you might never post that on social media or use that as an argument to go talk to friends. But is it true that we sometimes, many times maybe, make decisions about how to live life based on that kind of thinking? I actually deserve to be happy. And God should work at my bidding to make it so. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face. Forevermore. First Chronicles 22 verse 19. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. What is it that God people had failed in here? They neglected God. They gave him no thought. They put no trust in him. They no longer saw the God who delivered them out of Egypt as the most beautiful, valuable person in the world. Their relationship with God was nothing more than a way to put a a coin in a machine and get out covenant blessings. Let me put the coin in and get the manna. Let me put the coin in and get my little piece of land that he promised to my family. Maybe there are ways that you recognize that in your own heart. Let me put the coin in. I'll come to service this morning. Or maybe let me put two in. I'll even come to Sunday school. Maybe the Lord owes me these blessings. And our hearts get turned around and twisted and we're content not to seek Him. Lastly, number three, why was God punishing them? Because they relaxed in disobedience and compromised God's Word in verse 10 and in verse 14. We don't have to do the things that God told us to do. That was related to that other time when we were just carving out life in this new land, when we were just learning what it meant to be the covenant people of God. But look at us, we've increased. We're doing better. Surely God understands us making slight changes to his law to to innovate a bit is okay. To adapt God's word is all right. But they were distorting the scriptures and God's law according to the climate of their times. Changing things because they presumed God was taken by surprise with the current landscape they were living in. Surely God will understand. We'll take a little bit of this here and take out a little bit of that over there. We're just adapting God's word to to be more current. To understand the times that we live in. Surely God will give us a pass at this. And isn't this the experience of the church in our time? Are we tempted as God's people today or increasingly inclined at least to relax clear biblical standards in order to appear intellectually sophisticated enough to enter into the realm of serious academic or scientific discussions? Why is it that we as Christians believe in order to engage in those conversations, we must cut away certain parts of God's word that are a little bit harder to swallow than others? Areas of gender or sexuality or the sanctity of life or men and women created in the image of God. These are spiritual matters with moral implications before a holy God. And there may be pressure outside the church for us to cave. Certainly, there may be pressure to do that. But as we see here in Amos chapter 3, it's God's people who walked away from his word. There are many in our day who call this deconstructing their faith. It may be a little bit different than what you think about here in the book of Amos chapter 3. This is centuries ago, after all, for the people of Israel living in Samaria. But as my boss used to say, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it is still a pig. It may sound different, it may sound spiritual, it may even sound trendy to deconstruct your faith. But I want to encourage you. To look to the Lord by faith and trust his word. I am not in any way saying that there's no such thing as church hurt. I am in no way saying that you should feel invalidated if church hurt is part of your story. Part of what God has brought you through in your story of faith. 
What I am telling you, though, is that you should interpret that based on the word of God, not the other way around. God's word applies to you. You don't apply God's word to your experience as though God's word must bend and change and shift. And may we be a people, each of us, in our homes and in this church family who stand upon the word of God, even with tears in our eyes and hurt in our breasts, may we be faithful to God's word and not compromise it in any way, shape, or form. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30, it says, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. And maybe there were people in this day who would have quoted Paul if they had had his letter to the Romans written in their hand. Maybe they would say, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? Why are you speaking this strong, harsh way, Amos, against us? God has already said he chose us out of all the people of the world. But turn that question around for just a moment as we see in this passage in in Amos chapter 3. If God be against you, who can be for you? If God promises judgment, who will stay his hand? No one. No one can. So lastly, how should we apply these principles to ourselves? I want to end with two very honest questions for you to consider. The first one is, where is your security? As we see here, they were trusting in the security of riches and prosperity, in plenty of houses and real estate. They trusted in people just simply obeying them and doing what they said. The rich people got richer, while the poor seemed to have a lot less. And they even took what they wanted by violence and robbery and stored it away as if this is what God has given us. And it doesn't matter what happens to you. Where is your security? I asked a question of our new members last Sunday as we introduced them to you. I want you to consider this membership vow number two. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the gospel? That is a relevant question in the church today. It's a vow that each of you has taken before the Lord here in this body. If you are a member at Lebanon Presbyterian Church, where is your security of eternal salvation? Is it in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? Or is it in something else? Or someone else? Some relationship? Is it in the fact that you have your name on the roll here at Lebanon? Is your security in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? Do you look to anything else for the salvation of your soul and the forgiveness of your sins? If you do, you are in a grave place today. Hear the word of God. Look to the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe by faith. He is the only savior of sinners. If our hope and security is anywhere else, we are in a dangerous place outside of belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, take the test. Take Amos' test here from Amos chapter 3. Are you living this way, our third membership vow? Think about this before the Lord. This isn't a, a question to answer to me necessarily this morning. But before the Lord, are you living in reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit and endeavoring by all the means of God's appointment to live as becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Very plainly and simply, is there a pattern of righteous living in your life? Do you have a habit of seeking the Lord, opening his word, praying to him, asking for direction as you make decisions, as you go through your day, as you wake up in the morning and go to bed at night? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you desperate for him to answer? Or are you content to just make decisions as your heart moves you? Lastly, are you living under the authority of God's word? And I mean really living under the authority of it, that as I make decisions, this is how we're going to make them. As I think about one option or the other, which one glorifies God, which one pleases him? And I realize things in life are not always black and white. There are things that you must work through with the wisdom that God promises but are you living under the authority of God's word? Or is it a token thing that you set on the coffee table or on the dinner table? Or maybe you bring out when someone from the church is going by so that you make sure they see it. Or are you living by it? 
swearing to your own hurt, I will walk as becomes a follower of Christ. And to the extent that we don't pass that test and yet believe that God is fine with us, we are self-deceived. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, that he also reaps. And I want to encourage you, dear friends, this morning, that you may not see a reaping of sinful things in your life today. And that's only because of God's patience. It's not because He winks at your sin. It's not because He's alright with what you're doing if you are living in unrepentant sin. It is His patience and His kindness through His beautiful Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would run to Him by faith if you are living in sin. And I want to say just a brief word of encouragement as you are trusting and walking with the Lord. For those of you who for many years have been faithful to Him and to this church, keep walking with the Lord. Keep reading His Word. Keep praying. Keep serving. Love Him. He is your Savior. And He is working in your midst. Even if you can't see it, even if you don't see fruit, He is at work building His church. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, I pray that You would help us, Your people, to not be comfortable in disobedience. We do so much day in and day out to feel okay. We don't like pain. We don't like difficulty. We don't like having to try hard or even do a, a second time something. We, we grate at that in our minds and our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us by your spirit dissatisfaction with not obeying you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from this text the lessons that you would have us to hear. That we are to walk before you and live a righteous life. That we are to be obedient to your word. And that as your people, we should be desperately seeking your face. I pray that you would pour out your grace upon us, Lord, that we would do that by faith. And we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness on our behalf. That we live righteous lives not to earn salvation but because we have already received it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's respond together to God's word by standing and singing hymn number 688, Have Thine Own Way.
as we take an offering to the glory of God. Allie. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we may give back to you now a portion of what you have so richly blessed each of our families with. We pray, Lord, that you would receive with joy our tithes and offerings this morning, and that we might remember and proclaim to our hearts that this world is not our home. The things that you have given us are not our own. We are stewards. Lord, we thank you and praise you for being able to do this in this service of worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.